Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this first Sunday of the month of October. It is World Communion Sunday this morning, uh, but it is also another special day on the calendar. It also happens to be International Coffee Day. Did you know that? That's absolutely true, and it is absolutely serendipitous, because today we are actually kicking off a brand new five-week sermon series. It's called Freshly Brewed Faith. And over the course of the next five weeks together, we're going to be looking at some of the lessons that we can learn about what it means to live out the life of faith through this wonderful, delicious beverage called coffee. Now, I would imagine that there are some of you here this morning who are suspicious about this upcoming series. You're probably wondering, what on earth could we possibly learn about the Christian faith by looking at coffee? I mean, is this just Pastor Jeremy's way of being able to bring coffee into the pulpit on a Sunday morning and to be able to drink it during the sermon without getting in trouble? (laughs) To that I would tell you you're not wrong. But you're also not entirely right. Because what we're doing this, these next five weeks is we're actually taking a page out of Jesus' playbook. Because if you look at the Gospels, one of the things Jesus often did is he would point to things all around him, especially agricultural things, things like, you know, a mustard seed or fruit or grain or weeds or trees. And he would say, here's what we can learn from them about what it means to live out the Christian faith. Well, I would dare say that we can do the same thing when it comes to the coffee bean, that there are at least five lessons that we can learn by looking at this delicious, wonderful, life-changing beverage called coffee. So not only are we going to be talking about coffee for the next five weeks, but we're also going to be drinking coffee for the next five weeks because before the 11 o'clock service and after the the 11 o'clock service, I want you to know that out on the lawn you can find each week during October coffee from one of our local coffee shops here in town. Uh, This morning happens to be Jittery Joe's, but next week it'll be something different, and every week you can come and you can get coffee, and I, for one, love a caffeinated congregation, so take as much as you can before the service, and know that we will dive into that during, during the sermon each week. So this morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that comes from the Acts of the Apostles. And and if you don't know, uh, the Acts of the Apostles was written by a guy named Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And this is actually his second book. And, and, And the first book that he wrote, his Gospel, that was all about Jesus. The second book is all about the church who learned from Jesus. And now they're trying to live out their faith in Jesus, and they're trying to figure out what does it mean for us to be the church in the world. Well, today, we're going to look at the second chapter, starting with verse 42. This is one of Luke's earliest descriptions of this new thing called the church. Hear now the Word of God. Luke says, So they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread together in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. O gracious and loving God, more than anything in the world this morning, we want to hear from you. We want to hear a word that comes right from your heart. So God, speak to us this day. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears that we might hear a word that can transform us from the inside out. May this word that I'm about to speak be your holy word. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. So one thing that you need to know about me is that I love a good cup of coffee. I love it anytime. I love it anywhere. I can drink coffee in the morning. I can drink it in the afternoon. I can dr- drink it at 10 o'clock at night. It does not matter to me. I can drink it always. That's because my philosophy is anytime is a good time for a cup of coffee. Of course, I realize that not everyone feels this way about coffee. Not everyone shares my enthusiasm for this drink. In fact, just this past week on Monday morning, I was meeting with a small group of staff in my office. We were having a meeting. We were talking about the fact that this series was coming up. And so I did a little informal poll. I said, all right, just by a raise of hands, how many of you enjoy drinking coffee? And knowing that they were good, Jesus-loving Christians, I assumed that all the hands in the room would go up. I assume that it would be a unanimous answer, but I will have you know that only half of the hands in the room went up, and the other half, for whatever reason, stayed down. And I will tell you that this was deeply disappointing to me. I mean, I'm not trying to insinuate that this was like a character flaw, but I'm also not insinuating that it's not a character flaw because I couldn't believe my staff, half of my staff, doesn't drink coffee. I mean, this was just amazing to me that, that I would not have known this information. So I was very disturbed by this revelation. I was even trying to think, like, what do I do with this information? How do I respond And there was one Bible verse that kept coming up over and over and over again. It was from Matthew 25 when Jesus famously said, Depart from me, ye evildoers, (laughs) into the place of darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because I assume that what Jesus was describing was a place where there is no coffee available. Because if I had to go there, I know it would be a place of deep darkness and there would be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love a good cup of coffee, and I love it for so many different reasons. I love the smell of coffee. I love the taste of coffee. I love the caffeinated effect that coffee tends to have on me, especially on Sunday mornings. But most of all, the reason why I love coffee so much is because I am convinced that it is the ultimate conversational drink. In fact, I would even argue 
that coffee doesn't just generate good conversation, it also initiates good conversations because the words that flow easily off my tongue are the words, you want to meet for coffee? I think coffee, at least in my experience, is a wonderfully connectional beverage. It is a relational beverage. In fact, there's an old Turkish proverb that once said, one cup of coffee shared between two people commits them to 40 years of friendship. Now, obviously, that's a bit of an exaggeration. It's a bit of an overstatement, but the idea behind it is clear. Coffee is something that connects us. It's relational. In fact, I would even go far as to say that coffee is always better when it's shared with someone else. Now, I am not the only person to hold that opinion. In fact, there's a little coffee shop that uh, has been living into that, implementing that, capitalizing on that, for all of their existence. Uh, you may not know this place. It's a little place called Starbucks. And um, if you know their story, you know that from the very beginning, uh, Starbucks has always wanted to be what they call a third place. Which is to say that if home is your first place and work is your second place, they want to be the third most natural place that you would go and spend time and hang out. That's why anytime you walk into a Starbucks, you notice that they have really comfortable chairs and they've got tables everywhere and there's always soft music being played because they want you to be as comfortable as possible. Not only do they want you to feel comfortable at Starbucks, but they want someone else that you would invite to be comfortable at Starbucks. They want you to say to someone else, hey, you wanna meet for coffee? Let's get together to, to connect, to catch up. Let's have a conversation. And what better way to do that than over a cup of coffee? I think that what Starbucks understands really, really well is that there are certain things in life that are simply better when they are, are experienced together. One of those things is absolutely coffee. Uh, another, though, at least in my opinion, would be the Christian faith. Because if you've ever studied the history of the Christian faith, if you have ever gone back and read your Bible from beginning to end, you, I promise you, you have never found a single time in all of Scripture where God ever insinuated that faith is something we're supposed to do on our own. That faith is somehow meant to be like a solo journey where we just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and go at it alone. No, we've always been made to be in relationship with one another. I mean, it's been that way from the very beginning. What did God say? It is not good for man to be alone, right? Which means that we were always made to do life and faith together. Of course, nobody understood this better than Jesus. Because from the very beginning of his ministry, the, one of the first things that Jesus did is he gathered a group of 12 other guys together and he formed a group called his disciples. 
Meaning that Jesus didn't show up and say, hey, everybody, I, I, I think I'm going to try this whole, like, you know, ministry thing on my own. I, I've got a very kind of entrepreneurial, spiritual uh, side to me, and I really just want to be left alone. Let me be and do my thing for the next three years by myself. Uh-uh. Now, the first thing he did is he drew these other men to be in relationship with him, to walk with him, to learn from him, to be with him, to share life with him. Jesus called his disciples together to be a community of faith. And in so doing, he offered a model for the early church. He offered a pattern for the early church. And he said, this is what I want you to look like. And why? Because Jesus understood that there are certain things in life that are better when they are experienced together. Stronger than that, there are some things like love and grace and faith that are simply too good not to share. I think it is for that very reason that Luke decided to give us this glimpse into the life of the early church in chapter 2. Because in the story that we read this morning, one of the things that Luke does is he doesn't just give us like this historical account to say, hey, everybody, this is what the early church looked like. This is what they were doing. You know, put this into, you know, the, the, the library. We're going to remember this is exact. What Luke wanted us to understand more than anything is not just how the early church functioned, but why it functioned a certain way. Luke wanted us to understand the very nature and the character of the early church and how they tended to work together. In fact, when you read Acts 2 uh, in the original Greek, you discover that Luke actually uses a very unique Greek word to describe the early church. The word is koinonia. And in your Bibles, it might be translated as fellowship, which is a good translation, but in the original Greek... It means so much more than just fellowship. Uh, koinonia means sharing and communion and intimacy. In other words, what Luke is saying is this wasn't just a group of random people that got together from time to time because they had some basic general things in common. No, what Luke is saying is these were people who came from different places, had different backgrounds, but they were 100% committed to doing life together because they understood that faith is better when we do it together. In fact, if you look at those five verses that we read this morning, that is the one word that comes up the most in those five verses. It's, it's the word together. Because as Luke is describing the early church, he says, yeah, you want to know about the early church? Let me tell you about the early church. They ate together, and they prayed together. They worshiped together. They shared all their possessions together. They would often go to one another's houses together. And do you know what they did once they got there? They broke bread together. For Luke, the early church did life and faith together because they understood that there are certain things in life that are simply better when we do them together. Indeed, there are some things like love and grace and faith 
that are simply too good not to share. You know, that, that's why we do communion the way that we do it here in the Methodist Church. Because not every church does it the way that we do. I mean, there are certain churches that you can go to and can feel very kind of individualistic. It can be kind of a private affair. I remember years ago, I was at a, a church in Seattle, Washington, and, and we were in the service, and we are getting towards the end, and I remember the minister, as he was almost about to give the benediction, he said, oh, by the way, by the way, we're going to have communion this morning. And I thought, oh, great, we're coming to the table. This is wonderful. And he said, it'll be after the service, and uh, it'll be on that back table in the back. If you want it, you can grab it on your way out, take as much as you want. And I thought, what? What are you talking about? It's on the back table, grab as much as you want on your way out. I thought we were taking communion. It sounded to me like he was describing a party favor that we should grab on our way out the door. This was insane to me. Because if there's one thing that we believe as United Methodists is that to take communion means we have to come to the table, and we don't come to the table alone. We always come to the table together. Because we believe what the early church believed, which is there are certain things in life that will always be better when they're done together. Indeed, there are some things that are so good that they're too good not to share. Now, when my kids were really little, one of the places that we tended to go on vacation every summer uh, was to this little barrier island off of the coast of North Carolina. It was called Sunset Beach. And uh, one year, we went to Sunset Beach, and we were looking for a place to eat. And we were looking it up, and we found this place that was actually in a, in a town nearby, but it was called the Parsons Table. And to this day, the Parsons Table is one of the coolest experiences I've ever had at any restaurant, and that's because the Parsons Table actually used to be a Methodist church. Uh, it was built in 1885, and it was a church there until 1955. But in 1955, the congregation up and left, and they moved to a new location in the sanctuary. The old sanctuary was left there unoccupied and unused. So in 1978, they sold it to a man that renovated it into this beautiful restaurant. And as a Methodist nerd, you have to know that I absolutely loved this experience. Like it smelled like a church and it looked like a church. And to come in and to dine, it was just a beautiful experience in spite of the fact that they did not give me a clergy discount. So we're there, we're eating dinner, it's wonderful. After dinner is served, the waiter comes up to us and he says, would anybody like some coffee before you leave? And I thought, a man after my own heart. Yes, I would, fill her up. And he brought some coffee and we were all just kind of talking. And then he said, he said, um, would anybody like some dessert? I said, do you recommend anything? And he said, yes, I do. If I could make one recommendation to you, it's that you would try our famous key lime pie. I said, great, coffee and key lime pie. I don't know a better combination. Let's do it. So he brings the key lime pie, and I'm sitting there. And before I, I, I started to eat it, I will be honest with you, I didn't really expect a whole lot. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect as I started to dig into this dessert. But I will tell you this. 
in the course of eating that dessert, I rededicated my life to Jesus three different times. <laughs> That's how good this dessert was. I mean, it was incredible. And it was one of those desserts that you can't just like wolf down. I tend to do that, you know, dessert is gone. You can't do that. It was so rich. It was so decadent that you just wanted to take a bite and savor every morsel. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those where you just kind of slowly and methodically made your way through. Well, as I'm, as I'm eating this dessert, it wasn't long before the other people at our table started to notice the relationship that I was building with this dessert. And so they looked at me kind of strangely and they said, uh, hey, Jeremy, how is it? And I want you to recognize that at this time, I, I, had, I had some options as to how I would respond. I could have tried to describe it with my words, you know. Oh, you, you've, got to, you've got to understand. It's so beautiful, like the, this part and the crust and the that and the, I could have tried to describe it. Or I could have told them, hey, listen, order it yourself. Figure it out on your own. I, what do I know? I mean, I'm just trying to eat my dessert here. A lot of different things that I could have done, but you know what I you know what I did? I did the same thing that I think you probably would have done. I very instinctively just pushed it to the middle of the table, and I said, y'all, you've got to try this. And everybody grabbed the spoon, and we all started to eat it together. And it was almost a holy moment. Because together we relearned a sacred truth, and that is that there are some things in life that are just better when they're experienced together. Indeed, there are some things that are too good not to share. You know that that's what today is all about, right? Because today is World Communion Sunday which means that it is the one day in the church calendar when Christians from all around the world get together and they share this holy meal. And in spite of all of our differences, all of our imperfections, all of the many ways that we tend to disagree, the one thing we do agree on is the fact that this meal is better when it's shared together, that this meal is too good not to share. So this morning, as you come to the table, I guess if I had just one word of advice to you, it would simply be this, that as you come and you receive the bread and you receive the cup, that you wouldn't just scarf it down like I tend to do desserts, but that you would take it and you would savor it. Let it linger taste and see that the Lord is good. And together we will remember. Indeed, we will come to recognize that there are some things that are better when they're shared together. There are some things that are too good not for us to share. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.